Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. Week one of finals, wasn't it phenomenal? We were dished up some absolutely cracking contests, plenty to talk about. And of course, there's plenty to look forward to. Um, Some things we need to discuss, but... We can't wait to talk about all of it. Before we begin, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, and Anna Harrington. So let's talk some 40, quickly recapping our week one results. So we had the D's beating the Crows by 21 points. Brisbane defeated Richmond by 17 North and Geelong, it was close, but North ended up winning by two points in the end, and it got real close right at the end, but the Pies ended up winners over the Bulldogs by five. So, like I said, so much to talk about. Four really entertaining games, which is always super exciting, but let's start at the beginning, D's and Crows. It looked for all money like the Crows were on in that first quarter. It was a scary good quarter from them and then something switched for the Ds and they were able to get away with that win, go straight through to the prelim. Do you have any sort of explanations as to what switched for the Ds in order for them to just rampage for three quarters basically? I've seen a few theories. Good, Always a pleasure to be here, Marissa. Um, but... I quite like the one on the, I think it might be Sarah Black and co on the AFLW website talking about that, that tough edge that Melbourne have found. Um, I think that's one thing, real resilience. You have to gut it out, um, had to, as you say, come from behind, find a way to win. Uh, but, yeah, I think there's an element of that. I'm not saying that they weren't mentally strong before. They have a point to prove as well, of course. They, you know, have that grand final heartbreak they want to put behind them. They are still searching for that breakthrough flag. For me, also, they've just got more depth um, across the board. I think I spoke about it last time I was on the pod, more midfield depth, especially um, with Liv Purcell coming back from that. Well, since she's been at Melbourne, she's been on the comeback trail from that ACL and she's really hit her straps this year, named in the All-Australian team. And it's just taken so much pressure off a of, of Karen Paxman. And I think the other thing is they've just got such a multi-dimensional forward line. Um, if Kate Hall's quiet, Alyssa Bannon pops up and Alyssa Bannon seems to just love the big stage. And Part of that is just her coming into her own, right? Like just growing as a player. She's a bit older now, a bit more mature. She's learned to deal with maybe more attention that comes with becoming a bit of a breakout player. But yeah, sometimes it's a, it's a difficult one, right? Because um, you feel like maybe there's an element of Brisbane are you know, hungry as anything and are going to be really hard to beat. But you feel like there's this extra steal about Melbourne. Like they've got so close and had it taken away from them. You wonder, is this the year where they can... Maybe go all the way. Um, it's going to be hard. Brisbane are very good. But just the way that Melbourne were able to dig their way out was was super impressive. It was hugely impressive. And I think you're right. I spoke about it last week on the pod about how Melbourne seemed to be just kind of building, taking that one step forward every season. And if you lose a grand final last season and you're following that logic, then, you know, you kind of like the chances if that is how the process is being followed. But It was just a phenomenal turnaround. As you said, Alyssa Bannon seems to live for the big stage, loves getting both arms up, fingers pointed in celebration, which we absolutely love to see. Um, The really impressive stat, or impressive if you're a D's fan, not so if you're a Crows fan, was just Marinoff and Hatchard. So long they've been this double act for the Crows and have been 
so heavily relied upon but have been able to shoulder that responsibility but both were quiet which isn't something that happens very often both of them were under 20 disposals for the game and when they did have it they were working at 25 percent efficiency which is not great so don't think they were the sole reason the crows lost but you can see maybe where things went wrong if your two star midfielders are dishing up those kind of stats so obviously like I said the D's are through to that prelim, get the week off. The Crows will host the Pies next week. So that will be very, very exciting. But the next game we shall look at is Richmond uh, and Brisbane. So the, there was kind of the revenge, the redemption narrative that headed into this one for Brisbane. Is it safe to say mission complete, redemption achieved for Brisbane? Yeah, I think so. They would have been stinging so hard after that loss to Richmond in the regular season. It's really the only blemish on their year to date. They just came out firing, didn't they? Like they, <laughs> they came out with a point to prove. They managed to limit the influence of of Monconti and Ellie McKenzie to an extent as well. Um, Katie Brennan was super. I've, I've always said they're a much better team with Katie Brennan in than out Richmond, which is turning the obvious a bit. She's their captain, but I feel like her influence is actually undersold by a lot of people. I think a lot of people maybe think she's overrated when I think over the past few years she's maybe been underrated in terms of her actual influence, which maybe means she's rated about where she should be. Who knows? Um, but I think Katie Brennan as a forward is still one of the most pure leading marking key forwards in the game um, and her work rate and leadership is great. But it's just that class from Brisbane, right? When you've got Anderson, Spark Times 2, Bates, um, they're very, very difficult to stop. They're managing to get their sort of intercept marking back. They dominated the clearances. And, you know, they weren't dominating the ruck either. Like they had an advantage in the ruck, but they, um, yeah, they just dominated. Um, they just showed Richmond what it takes. This is Richmond's first final. So, you know, you can have a, a little bit of um, not stage fright, but nerves. And Brisbane have been there, done that. Um, and it's no surprise really to me that, especially on home, on home deck, Brisbane just sort of won out with their maturity. Um that said, I think Richmond will be so much better off with this experience. They, The most exciting thing for them is they get another dig at it. Like it's not just you get the experience of being in finals and you're out straight away. Like often your first finals experience is sort of in that lower half of the top eight. They get another go at it. And, you know, the, the scoreboard was pretty respectable, all things considered. Um, but, yeah, as I said, Brisbane and Melbourne are clearly the two teams to beat right now. Um, but I'm pretty excited for what these, uh, these couple of semifinals are are going to deliver, Marissa. They're set to be sensational. We'll get to them a little bit later in the pod. I liked what you said about how Richmond, by virtue of that double chance, immediately get to double their finals experience, which is obviously going to do all of them a world of good. Also, just on finals experience, I'm still utterly bamboozled every time I hear that that was Katie Brennan's first final. Like, it just, it seems like a lie. It does not seem like a real stat, but it is, and... We, we continue on, but one team that obviously does not get to benefit from the double chance was Geelong. So that North and Geelong game was the most pressure-filled thing you've ever seen in your life. Not a single goal scored in the final three quarters of the game, and you would think, oh, so that means it was a terrible game. But just the sheer intensity and pressure made it edge-of-your-seat viewing it was absolutely bananas. Can you believe that North held on considering how much Geelong were attacking? I can. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity gone begging, really, for for Geelong, isn't it? 1-8. Like, 
it's, it's genuinely kicking yourself out of a win. Um, that'd be pretty filthy, I would have thought. Um, a, a bit to think about what they could have done better. But I'm not surprised that North Melbourne sort of held firm. They've got, I've talked about them before, they've got quality, they've got grit, they've got a lot of experience. I think that's undersold. Um, playing in finals. They've got a bit of a chip of their shoulder chip on their shoulder in their own right. Um they obviously slipped. They should have probably felt like they were in contention for that top four spot or should have grabbed it with both hands and instead they slipped all the way down to the bottom of the eight. Um but I still think they're in the top five teams in it. Um so no I'm not you know like on paper, yeah it's surprising that Geelong didn't find a way to win. But North North actually being able to hang on is yeah, no surprise to me. And it's no surprise it's players like Ghana, Riddell, Bruton, King, who've been doing this all year, that were winning plenty of the ball and having influential moments. Yeah, I'm I am i am not yeah, not surprised in that sense. Emma Carney being back was big as well from that knee injury. Um, which makes me more excited for as I know we're coming to in a bit, that Richmond final coming up. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's a credit to North and the way they managed to hold up. Geelong will learn from it. Uh, it's kind of like the Richmond thing is that they don't get the, as you say, they don't get the extra week to to try and bounce back and implement their, those lessons straight away. But they're a young team and I think they developed so much even over the course of the year. Like in the first two rounds, they were first two or three rounds, they were winning games, but it was pretty dire to watch, right? Like they were purely defensive. You didn't offer a whole lot the other way. Um, and you were sort of wondering, can can they sustain this? And they showed that they could. They could sustain a lot of the stinginess defensively and start to find some attacking flow and and um, aggression and um, real potency going forward. So that's exciting for them. Um, I mean, they'll be disappointed with how their season ends, but I think they exceeded all expectations just by getting there. Um, to be honest, yeah, as I said, I'm pretty excited to see how North go next up. I think just quickly on Geelong because it is their season over, it's 100% that factor of they'll only be better for this season. And, you know, if we're going way too early predictions, what they could potentially do next year with this season under their belts, that's terrifying. But, yeah, just really kick themselves out of it. Like you said, 41 inside 50s to 18 is an absolutely bonkers stat. I think Sir Swamp Thing said it was like the biggest inside 50 differential for a team to then have lost the game, which is just, it's absolutely crazy. But like we said, Geelong will absolutely learn from this and hopefully be better for the experience next season. But that was not the only game. Our final game of week one of finals was Collingwood and the Dogs. The Pies seemingly had that in the bag. And then all of a sudden the Dogs rocked up in that final quarter and things got very tense and very close a lot closer than a lot of people probably would have expected the way that things were going in those first three quarters. So should Collingwood have let it get that close or is the fact that they did kind of let the Bulldogs back in maybe a little bit emblematic of their season and the way they've been going about things? Bit of a spicy game. How are you coping, Marissa? Were you robbed? Were your doggies robbed? Uh, I would like some score review of that goal that Jolene then was diving on because um I just I just would like to know I'd like to see some a, a reverse angle if I may but um yes definitely one where um the the heart rate really got high and it was um real quintessential it's the hope that kills you where <laughs> all of a sudden you're within striking distance and then it doesn't really come to fruition but um as a neutral, 
entertaining as heck, entertaining as heck. So big fan of that. But the Bulldogs, I don't think, well, I didn't expect them to do anything in this final series. So I'm comfortable with where their season has ended overall, to be honest. I think Collingwood probably had a bit of a point to prove after getting smacked by Brisbane. Smacked uh, is putting it lightly, to be honest. Like, and they got they got turfed out of that top four. Like, they were sitting there for ages. Their inefficiency was killing them. I don't think it helped them this time around either. Um, bad kicking bad football again. Um, but I think they had a bit of a point to prove. And um, we know the, the quality that they've got. There's a bit more experience there compared to the Bulldogs. Um, yeah, there was some controversy, and that was obviously talked about at the time. I think, yeah, Collingwood team may be expected to to fire a few more shots. I think it's going to be tough for them against Adelaide this coming week. Side note, I was quite, I think I'm going to say bemused to see a story on the AFL uh, women's website that Nathan Burke, the Bulldogs coach, was going to get a please explain um, for conduct the umpires. And I, I went and I was like, I, you know, let's have a look. Um, apparently no words exchanged, but a pointed stare at the umpires bench. Like, Are you going to catch someone for that? <laughs> Like you, you can't possibly suggest that someone needs to please explain for um for a pointed stare at the umpires after the match. Like it's very different to a a blow up or a complaint or whinging in a press conference. I I, I was staggered when I read that. Um, and let's be honest, you wouldn't see that in the men's game, would you? Like no. you, not you even not a little bit. A, like, I reckon there's a pointed stare from a AFL men's coach towards an umpire at least once a week. If not, you know, at least once a fortnight. There's plenty of pointed stares happening at everyone and everything. So I, I was pretty stunned to read that, to be honest. And I think a lot of other people were as well. Um, and obviously anyone who's dealt with Nathan Burke knows he's a pleasure to deal with. Um, and I know he's had a couple of little little blows. He fired up after their win, um, I think it was over Carlton, in a big way. But there's emotion and there's, you know, little outbursts like that. I don't think there's anything malicious in anything he's ever done in as a as a coach of the Bulldogs. So, yeah, I thought it was bizarre to see. Apparently that wasn't part of the reason for the supposed or alleged plays explained. But, yeah, I was, yeah, as I say, bewildered, bemused to read about that. Like, yeah, there's I, a bit of salt in the wound for the poor old dogs as well. Honestly, I did the exact same thing where I was like, I feel like I would have remembered, you know, him blowing up in the post-game press conference. Like, I feel like if it had been something of note, we all would have known. So then when I also opened that article and it was the stare, I was like, okay, sure, that's interesting. That's a choice, but um, that's a problem for Nathan Burke and the AFL to sort through, but let's look ahead. Let's look at these actual two semifinals that we've got coming up this weekend. So unfortunately, the topic du jour um, for this week has not actually been the footy. We will get to the footy because, you know, we're a footy pod. We should be talking about the footy, but it would be remiss of us to not also discuss the huge issue that has emerged uh, regarding the scheduling of this weekend's finals. So there's a couple of elements, I suppose, to this. First of all is the selection of the venue. So Richmond, being the higher-ranked team, have earned the right to a home final, and they have very steadfastly uh, said that they will be playing at Punt Road, um, which is a tiny ground at the best of times. The grandstand is not in use at the moment, um, so it's not great in terms of um, 
wanting to get a big crowd there. The other issue Which, is... Which, obviously- before we go into that second issue, geez, yeah. you'd think, not to delve into the men's game, but you'd feel like Geelong would be having a little look at this and being like, here we go. We're never playing a final at the G again, <laughs> except the I- grand final. Let's go AFL. Like, because if you, like I read the quotes that Brendan Gale gave to News Corp, you know, we want to have a home adv- a home advantage. It's our home final. Want to give our players every opportunity. Like, isn't that the argument for every club wanting? And I remember the Bulldogs wanted to play a home final at Marvel against Adelaide. Mm. Uh, maybe it was 2015-ish. This is before their flag. Obviously, Geelong wanting to play down the highway. Like, I'm not, I don't want to say it opens a can of worms, but it really should, right? <laughs> like, you, you should never be able to say that crowds take precedence over, um, you know, home team's rights again, right? Yeah. With Richmond, uh, it's... I don't know if it's um, hypocrisy is the right word, but that's the one my mind keeps landing on because it it the math isn't mathing. It doesn't make sense. Um, and it's just bizarre. And, like, I, I think we spoke about it, actually, the, the festival of footy that occurred on Men's Grand Final Parade Day. The games were played at Punt Road. It's just too small a venue. And it, the logic behind... A club not wanting a big, you would presume, parochial, very pro-Richmond crowd, crowd rather, lots of fans. I don't understand. I don't understand the logic. I just don't understand it at all. I don't understand why you would want to deny your own fans the opportunity to see your team in a final. It makes no sense to me. And I know that there have been justifications, but they all all flat for me to be honest I don't know if you feel differently like I see the merit in home team home final like I'm not questioning that but denying a whole bunch of fans the opportunity to see a final just feels really off and wrong to be honest in a season I feel like this is the first season where people have genuinely started questioning where are the where the crowds gone Mm. like non-COVID like there's plenty of games that haven't got the crowds that we would have liked I think even the final between or the D's final the other night right like, I don't think they would have been thrilled with that that crowd. So, like, why would you minimise crowds? Um, yeah, bizarre. And obviously, Marissa, as you said, there's the second issue, which is going to affect us in this pod directly. Yes. The, de- the decision to just clash entirely with the massive Matildas game against world number two Sweden across the road at Amy Park. Like, as I think I was saying to a few people, they couldn't have made it clash much more, unless they literally made the start time 2.45. Um, you know, if you wanted to watch the two games, like a 10-1 and watch the other on TV, and you were going to Matildas, no chance. Um, it's it's ridiculous, right? Like, it's just, um, you go, well, which one is it? Is it that the AFL didn't think about the Matildas game being on? Was it they saw it and didn't care or is it just the was there a level of arrogance of oh, but everyone wants to come to our game why would people pay attention to that people would rather sit at home and because they can't get into punt road than go to the soccer down the road that's on at the same time like what what reasoning is there for this like there is so much overlap between these sets of fans as well so many people who love to support women's sport and not even just that like plenty of people just love to go to the big events that are in town right like matilda's friendly is a big event going into the World Cup next year, right? This final should be a big event. Why not play it at night? Why not give it, like, some prime time, give it some attention, give it everything it deserves? 
Um, I'd love, to, I reckon there'd be plenty of people that would love to go to the Matildas game and then whether it's hop on, you know, I don't know if you go to Vic Park, Richmond probably wouldn't want that or Icon or even if you do stick with the 2000 or whatever it is that can get into Punt Road, let them do two things. <laughs> it just, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, yeah, as I said, I don't know if it's willful ignorance, deliberate clash of scheduling, which to me just would seem next level petty, but wouldn't surprise me, or something else. But either way, it's it's poor, right? Like, and it's so avoidable. This friendly's been locked in for so long, so long. It's, it's, and I saw a couple of people say, oh, I don't know if the AFL should be worrying about in scheduling themselves around a soccer friendly. Please, if this was the other way around and it was like an A-League women's final and there was a big footing, oh, soccer, so, you know, soccer shoots itself in the foot again, like, or netball shoots itself in the foot. Like, everyone would be copying it for sca- for clashing with an AFL game. So it's, yeah, I, I just think it's poor. It's poor. That's all I can say it is. It's 100% poor. And my thing, the word you said that, so avoidable. It was so avoidable we did not have to have this discussion we could have spent this like five ten minutes talking about the actual footy but instead we have to talk about this and it blows my tiny mind that the AFL would decide to do this and I know there was talk that because Richmond wanted at Punt Road Punt Road doesn't have broadcast quality lighting which is in my opinion, just another reason to not play at Punt Road, if we're being honest. Um, But they decided that that was good enough justification to keep it in that afternoon slot. But fans have been rightly incensed. And I understand that lots of people are using that as their kind of forward argument. But for me, it's just the AFL basically deliberately deciding that they don't want people showing up because that's what it boils down to, to make, to think that people wouldn't want to go to both and would, like you know, not go to the event that they've had maybe tickets since September for, it blows my mind. To you, to use the parlance, the AFL have absolutely kicked an own goal here. Like, it's simple as that. It makes zero sense. So, for me, this whole situation is not just the AFL's fault and it's not just Richmond's fault. It's both of their faults and it's all kind of coalesced into this weird mountain of just, poor planning, poor scheduling, and it's really unfortunate that what's going to be a great game, we can finally start talking about the actual footy here, we know it's going to be a good game. The draw was phenomenal in round 10 between these two sides. It's do or die footy at the moment. So many people are going to be prevented from watching this game, whether Mm -hmm. it's because they couldn't get in or because the AFL decided that it was fine to schedule it at the same time as something else that was really important in the area and that overlap of fans didn't mean anything. So it blows my tiny mind. I I can't understand it. Every justification that I've gotten or we've seen from Richmond and the AFL really isn't cutting it, if I'm being honest. So it's it's just unfortunate. It's really unfortunate for the players that they won't get what they probably deserve, which is the biggest possible crowd. Like I was saying before, Richmond bloody love their their footy. They love their team. They love talking about how many members they have, how many of them are not going to be allowed in because of this Mm -hmm. decision, how many women's sports fans are not going to be allowed in because of these decisions. It's it's ludicrous that we wouldn't do everything in our power to maximise the crowd for a final. Well, it's interesting as well just seeing 
uh, Darren Crocker, the North Melbourne coach, um, in his presser today said, uh, North Melbourne's just posted this to social media, the game sold out in 13 minutes. Not just North Melbourne fans, but I imagine Tigers supporters too will be pretty disappointed they can't come along. If we're looking to grow a product like AFLW, this is the time to potentially open it up and play it at a bigger venue. Simple, right? Just get these things right. Not hard to get right. I'm sure there'll be every excuse under the sun in terms of broadcasting and all sorts of things, but it's just not good enough, right? It's it's just not good enough. And it, at the end of the day, it's the fans, the players, their friends, the family. They all miss out. People miss out. Every, like, let's just hope it's an absolute belter of a game of football that um plenty of people won't see live because they'll be over the road. <laughs> anyway, let's uh let's hope. I'm excited for it anyway, Marissa. I'm excited for it. Emma Carney's back for North Melbourne. She came back for finals and. I think that just adds so much to them, obviously, just not just in terms of what she can do with the ball and as a player, she obviously just been named the only player to be named in all seven All-Australian squads. She could become the only player to feature in all seven All-Australian teams since the competition began. Credit to her, especially given she's changed roles in that time as well. Um, and obviously, you mentioned the draw. It was fantastic the first time around. I feel like North are playing with that extra little bit of grit. I, I've said uh, I've they um, were pretty wasteful, if I remember correctly, in that draw as well. So it's going to be a belter. Um, I've got this feeling that North's going to win it. Um, and that's no shade on Richmond. That's just because I feel like North Melbourne have underachieved in the regular season, but have a lot of experience behind them. They have a lot of smarts about them. And they've just got match winners. Mentioned Carney, but the, you know, Jazzy Garner's the big one. And I'm excited to see Garner and Conti go head-to-head again. I think Ellie McKenzie's made for finals as, as well. I know that Mon, Mon Conti and, and um, McKenzie were both quieter last week by their own high standards, but their quality. I think I think this should be a belter. It is going to be a phenomenal game. That's the only thing I think we can say with absolute certainty about this contest. But how about the other semi-finals? So we've got the Crows and the Pies Saturday Arvo at Unley Oval, 3.40 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. They met in round five. The Crows won. The Crows were painfully inaccurate in that game. They kicked 2-9, and I feel like both of these sides have been very guilty of being inaccurate, and we saw it on the weekend with the Pies. It was 5-10 against the Dogs. So is inaccuracy going to decide this game? Because my initial thought is, yeah, it might. God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I'd love it to just be a, a belter of a game in itself. I, I think Adelaide are going to be the team to beat in this one. Um, and that's not just stating the obvious, you know, defending premiers and, um, you know, the finished top four as well. But I just think their quality, I think they will feel like they let themselves down, especially their midfielders, Marinoff and Hatchard. That's the most they've probably ever been limited since they sort of start to have their partnership flourish. Um, it looks like Chelsea Randall should be available after that little head knock scare, which is um, great news for them. Um, as I said, I, I, Collingwood, you know, they've they've done well to win through. I just think Adelaide are better. <laughs> and that is, is, sometimes it's just as simple as that. I think Adelaide have more finals experience. Oh, sorry, I know Adelaide have more finals experience. They've got proven finals performers. Um, I think Collingwood will take it up to them, but I think on, on home soil, um, and, yeah, with a bit of a chip on their shoulder and a point to prove, I, I reckon Adelaide will win through here. I agree because I honestly can't imagine um, 
Marinoff and Hatchard feeling too great about what they dished up. And I have a feeling there'll be a, a lot of fire in the belly for those two. And for the entire team, to be honest, they know what to do in finals. So the fact that they've had to take the long way around now, I don't think they'll be too pleased about that. So I see them coming out full of fire. But like you said, I don't expect the, expect the pies to just roll over. So all in all, the too long didn't read. It's going to be too pretty sensational finals and I cannot wait to watch them we've had our all Australian squad drop today we won't talk too much about that I would argue not too many glaring omissions to be honest um the one other piece of news that we wanted to touch on today was Trent Cooper is no longer the coach of Freo initial thoughts and reactions to that piece of news I was just I was well and truly logged off, enjoying my evening last night, and I just have a little look on Twitter and I see the AFL is posted in Frio's but um oh my god. Um I better file. <laughs> that was my first reaction I did. The stories on AAP for those subscribers out there. Um I think shocked was the way most people would have reacted to that. I mean, Trent Cooper's done a fantastic job since uh taking over from Michelle Cowan after the 2018 season, five seasons at the helm, had made, led them to their first finals campaign in 2019. I think plenty of people thought Frio were a good chance to go on and win it all in 2020, had that season not been criminally cut short uh, with COVID. I'll never get over that. Not for just for Frio's sake, but the fact that the, the AFLW didn't get a chance to finish its season. Um, and yeah, for, for four seasons, this is the first season Frio didn't make the finals. They lost some players, obviously, and they had a really rough run with injuries. Um, we know that Ebony and Cara Antonio both had really serious injuries that kept them out for most of the season. Hayley Miller, who was, um, I think, second in the BNF last year, the league BNF last year, superstar, their captain, um, had a interrupted preseason, so took a while to hit her straps. Kiara Bowers had, um, I know she had COVID, I think, in preseason, and I think she was one of those ones that got caught in having to isolate, isolate, isolate and was the last one in her family to get it. I remember Cooper saying that. So, you know, it took a while to hit the ground running as well. And that's four or at least three if you say Cara Antonio was in her last year, realistically. I think we all knew anyway. But between Ebony Antonio, Hayley Miller and Cara Bowers, that's three of your real smooth movers, key operators that are that are struggling. And it's no surprise that they they struggled. They I said I did cover that game where they scored like one point. That was pretty, pretty dismal, pretty dire. I think it was against Geelong, um, but I still think people will be surprised. Like this is, it, it feels like he's effectively paid the price for one poor season, um, and it'll be interesting to see what comes out in the wash. I know that um, I saw Simon Garlic's interview with their club website, sort of effectively said, "Oh, we, you know, it's about needing to reset for the future rather than looking at the past and blah blah blah," but. It's going to be really interesting. I wonder if they've got someone already lined up to take on the job. That's that's what makes me think maybe that's why they've moved so swiftly. But I guess we'll find out. Either way, it was, I think it was a surprise to everyone, right? We may well have more come out in the wash, but yeah, uh, he's done a fantastic job there and I think pretty well liked in the AFLW community as a whole. So yeah, hopefully he's uh, move, moves on to something new soon and yeah, all the best to him. Yeah, honestly, it was that initial reaction of just like, this seems harsh, especially if it's based solely on this season's output. We've spoken, I think, throughout the season about the caveats that are kind of around Frio and just how decimated they were by injury. No one's saying they were playing good footy this year and they'd probably be the first ones to admit that, but to 
let the coach go based on that. It just seems very, very harsh, especially when you look, I suppose, at other teams in the league, how poorly they've done and how long it's taken them to move coaches on and things like that. It just seems a little bit unusual. But we will see what else emerges and where Trent uh, pops up next. You would have to assume uh, some club would love to take him on board because he's done pretty well in the other you know, seasons that he was in charge. But I think that is us done for today. Remember, all of our AFLW content is on ESPN.com.au. Put your tips in. There's only two games, but don't forget to put your tips in. And we cannot don't wait. Don't be a me. Don't be me. <laughs> don't forget your tips from round three onwards. Oh, buddy. It's not good. Oh, yeah. dear. It all went badly. She's anyway, not, I digress. Not, she's not winning. Not winning any comps this year. <laughs> but, yes, don't do an Anna. Put your tips in and we cannot wait to talk to you all next week after these semifinals and preview some prelims. But until then, we'll see you all later. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.